Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim, and welcome to episode 142. And today we're going to talk about one of the greatest single things you could do to help change the world and your own life. Your own life and your world. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. In that order. You can change your own life and your world and contribute to the world with one single focus that is transformative and we're going to tell you all about it i can't wait <laughs> um, before that it is joker story time and Man, you're up yeah i'm up i was about to i was about to hand it off to you oh but you're wrong it's, it's your turn my turn you got a story for us i do so uh i can't remember if i've told i know if t- we've talked about the haiti trips before but i don't remember if we talked about this particular part of it so uh generally you know you go to another country you might get a bug or at least if you're going with a group, somebody there is going to get some kind of bug. Yeah. Now, this is your high school senior year. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Senior year of high school for me and uh, Evergreen would do uh, half off for, for graduating seniors uh, to go on some whatever mission trip they're doing that year. And it was yeah. Haiti for uh, lots of years, four or five years, yeah. I think. Uh, so I'm going on that trip and uh, and I'm going with our good friend, Chad Dickinson. <laughs> I'll, I'll name him. I'll, I'll say my name because I don't think he would mind. I think he probably finds. He might this be funny. pretty proud of this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know, you go to Haiti. The first meal we have there is pizza in like this kind of sports bar area in the in, in the city in Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, second meal is um, goat meat in like this vinegar sauce on rice. And right I, up your alley, man. I, I'm You're in rocking it. Yeah. But this is you know, and we would learn. I learned that other trips. This was like. You know, if only they could have this. Yeah. Other trips kind of had a harder time. So, yeah. Um, but I'm loving it. And uh, anyway, so we're there for four days, I believe. Four days and five nights kind of thing. That could some, be right. Some, Usually like they that. were a week. So Were they? Yeah. Well, this was a while ago now. It was. But, um, so by the last day and about the last night, uh, Chad finally, you know, one of us gets gets a bug and it's Chad. And so we uh, we're down the hall from him, and and in the middle of the night, we just hear this animal <laughs> shriek, this like this like boar boar call. Yeah, like hunters just stepped through the the green belt, and the boars are shouting out to their friends. <laughs> and uh, and it's Chad puking in the bathroom, and uh, and he does this a few times. I had come down with some weird cold thing. Mm. So I was, you know, shivering and had a headache. Wow. And Chad's over there, you know, yeah. hacking along up. So um, so the next day we fly home. and he, I've uh, never seen anybody so miserable for a trip home like he was that day. It was really tough to watch. He's pale. Oh, uh, he's already lily white, but he was pale. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, all through the airport and everything, we had a layover in uh, Miami, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so he has to use the, the doggy bags. He's got to do the whole, the whole everything. Uh, Brutal. And he can't do it quietly. No. So I felt terrible for Chad, but, but I mean, he handled it as good as probably anybody would have. I would have. Yeah. You know, my first missions trip was to the Dominican Republic. I'm a sophomore in college and, uh, unlike you, I'm a little bit pickier eater. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> Just so, a little. and very nervous about getting, you know, getting the 
the Montezuma's Revenge or the the Cooties <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and sure. so, uh, so I had every day. I had uh, every night. I had London broil for dinner. What is that? It's a steak, and our hotel had it. It was pretty cheap. It's like seven bucks, and I had them cook the snot out of it. You know, just to be as safe as possible. Yeah. So you're chewing each bite for about two minutes each. And these guys, man, they're trying street vendor food. They're all over the place. And I was the only person on the trip. There were nine of us. I was the only one that did not get sick. We were there for 10 days. Okay. And I lost 17 pounds. (laughs) In 10 days? I did, yeah. You didn't have 17 pounds to lose back then. I know, I know. Wow. The the London broil diet, who knew? Yeah, yeah, it was great. I was skipping lunches because that, you know, lunch was out. I can't believe you had the willpower for that. I was terrified of getting sick, and sure enough, I'm the only one that didn't. But was it worth it? Oh yeah, they had the, they got these stories of all the food they tried in the Dominican Republic in college. All the yeah. Experiences. After that, you know, my last trip to Africa, I went to I went I went to twelve cities in thirteen days, mm. and I made a vow to myself on the on on the way there, I'm going to eat everything they put in front of me. Dang. And I had camel meat. I sure. had, I had, I had stuff. I don't even it's know. It's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so either. Uh, but man, it was pretty adventurous because I'm around all these people who won't eat stuff. And you got to be the and one. I'm, and I'm doing it all, man. I'm yeah. I'm like pulling a muscle, patting myself on the back. Yeah. Still to this day. <laughs> Did it pay off? Did you have anything that really blew your mind? I never got sick. And it was, a, it was really cool. You know, some things tasted like a dirty ashtray. Sure. But uh, everything was great. Yeah. And I did experience some food I really, really liked. That's awesome. I, you know, I, I made myself sound like, I made it sound like I got off pretty easy there. When we got home, actually, <laughs> uh, the, the uh, you know, pressure changes and whatever had pulled this nose thing into my ear. And so I had, it eventually led to some kind of ear infection. I had fluid in my eardrum for like a month. Wow. So I'd have to, you know, I was doing the whole tilt my, my ear, my, my good ear to people like, like an old person. And, uh, so anyway, uh, I had it tough too, <laughs> but I would have chose mine you're bringing over tears to my glass. Eye. I know I would have chose mine over Chad's even for his, his oh, one day of absolute sure. misery. I, there's no way I've had a day like Chad's yeah. and I laid down multiple times and begged God to kill me. <laughs> I have no tolerance for that. I, I'm a, I'm a real wimp. I am too. All right. So. Let's dive in, John. I sure. think I think what I want to talk about is this uh, uh, this one mindfulness scenario where you can monitor one thing, and for me, it has accelerated my spiritual formation. Mm. It has provoked my uh, prayer life. It's provoked my um, my wrestling with myself and with God with just one monitoring thing. And it occurs to me that if you do this, you also can contribute not just to your own development as a more powerful Christ follower mm-hmm. and a more healthy human being and a more loving and loved human being. Uh, it, it can be the witness we desperately need in the cultural moment that we're in. This feels like I'm up late on a weekday and there's some yeah, information. But going wait, on. there's more. Yeah, the one thing. Yeah, For it makes four... chili and fries. <laughs> <laughs> Four payments of thirty nine ninety five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what is it? What's the one thing? It is. Mm-hmm. It is uh, self love. It is killing your self love. So it's not. It is the opposite of self love. It's it's removing self love. Yeah, it's it's, it's the monitoring monitoring your love of self. Okay. 
Uh, and the thing is, when you start paying attention to this, you see it everywhere, Constantly. everywhere. And so here's the idea is you, you spot yourself love every time, which is, um, um, there's three pieces of chicken on the table mm-hmm. and you're picking the, the one you most want. <laughs> you're picking the biggest one or you want if you're like me, a dark meat guy. I got to get the dark meat before anybody else does. I yeah. want the legs. I go, I try to go first. So I get the legs. Yeah. And so it's, it's as simple as that. <clears throat> it is, um, front seat, back seat, riding in somebody's car. Sure. With a group of people. It, it's, it's a million things. And the idea is that you identify picking a restaurant. Yeah. Where we're going to eat. Yep. You identify the love of self, the self love, and you deny it. So you, uh, you monitor it, you identify it and you refuse to give into it. Sure. So it's a, it's an exercise at first just to practice this awareness and this self-denial. It's interesting that the scriptures call us as a lifestyle Christ followers are to be people who do not self-actualize. They do not seek self-fulfillment. They seek self-denial. Yeah. And self-denial turns out to be a, a really powerful part of being like Jesus. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Self-denial was his way of life. Unless you take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So self-denial turns out to be a really significant part of being a Christian. Yeah, and it's, I mean, like the book of Ecclesiastes is like, what if I did whatever I wanted? What if I didn't deny myself? Feed my, feed every appetite I've got. And I'm the richest man on the planet. Yeah. That means I can do a lot of uh, hedonism. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he's probably the most depressed guy, mm-hmm. definitely the most depressed biblical author, <laughs> and that maybe maybe one of the you know of all time. Yeah. Uh, so this word monitor you used is then pretty appropriate because you're just talking about identifying and denying. Yeah. It's just kind of it's very it's almost uh, and it starts off just as an exercise. So um, and and the thing is, once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it anymore. Sure. And so the first, it's just an exercise: monitor it, identify it, and deny it. Even if it's a silly little thing, deny it anyway hmm. and deny it every time. So this is not necessarily how you have to live always. Perhaps it is. I haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah. But it's a phenomenal um, deal because here's what happens. You start to recognize just how deep your love of self actually is. Hmm. You start to recognize how many times. You are operating from a compass of self-love, even though you can beautify that, you can dress it up, uh, it can disguise itself in ways. So you really, you start recognizing, I'm driven by this love of myself. And when you practice self-denial in the name of Jesus, for Jesus, and you're not saying a word to anybody, you're just doing this, uh, it is phenomenal, the intimacy that I've begun to experience with God, and it helps me um, lean into his presence and power because it takes a lot for me to self-deny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Especially to self-deny every single time I'm aware of it. Totally. So that's the exercise that is uh, a great journey of your spiritual formation. And even like to just do it for uh, two days, like mm-hmm. to say for two days, I'm going to recognize my self-love every opportunity I can, and I'm going to deny it every single time and uh, just see what that does from a spiritual exercise. Sure. I think you'll be surprised. 
But here's what's cool. The people around you will start feeling more loved. They will start uh, being, they'll feel a climate change. Maybe you're not as selfish as I am. So it might be less of a climate change if you're already a kind and thoughtful person. Uh, for me, it's a climate change. And um, and because you can beautify and disguise your self-love, it, people might not notice it right away. Mm. But what it does is it, it, what it's been doing for me is it's changing the way I interact with people. Sure. So, and that's the climate change is suddenly instead of um, beautifying or disguising your self-love, you're actually demonstrating selflessness. And it's, it's, it's a really significant thing. So the, uh, what comes to mind is, you know, you, you go past a, you're dieting, you walk past a plate of sweets once (laughs) easy. I got it. Yeah. You go back at the second time, you know, you got to pass this plate a few times. You're feeling it by the end, you know, this kind of this. Or somebody sitting there enjoying a sweet thing right in front of you. My brother, when he quit smoking, he would he would walk by somebody smoking and go, hey, would you just blow that in my face? Oh, my gosh. Because he just wanted that smell, you know. So uh, it, it it is um, at first I I was pretty alarmed at how consistently my self-love shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so to. To take this further, then, you know, I said this will, first of all, change you. It'll deepen your relationships. It actually makes you appreciate and love other people more. Because you're not so focused on yourself all the right. time. Um, but here's the thing that I that I thought the 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 POW idea is, you know, we're in an, a, a season right now where many Christians, not all, are just mad. They're, yeah. They're mad at politics they're mad at vaccine mandates they're mad at masks they're mad at church can gather can't gather they're they're just mad mm-hmm. and we're showing the worst of ourselves our self-love is having a heyday <laughs> and um so we talked about an idea lots of episodes ago about how culture is created sure and culture is created every time you do something with something that is and so the example that most comes to my mind is somebody betrays you. Mm-hmm. So that is, what do you do with that betrayal? Is culture creating? If you seek revenge, if you punish, if you uh, if you want them to get hurt, that creates culture. Yeah. If you forgive, if you extend grace, if you are patient, that creates culture. And so what I'm noticing about the self love, self denial, is that that is culture creating. Totally. And it starts to create a culture around you, and that becomes the aroma of Christ. So at this critical cultural moment where Christians ought to be leading the way in self-denial, we're actually leading the way in self-love. Yeah. And we're demanding our rights, and we're wanting to argue and fight, and we're calling names, and we're yelling, let's go, Brandon, and we're being hateful. Um, it's the op it's the opposite of Christ. Yeah. And that's creating culture and it's killing the witness of the church. It's, it's killing the, uh, what is it? Uh, the appealing look or the appealing nature of, you know, I want that, you yes. know, a lot of that, the conduct, uh, um, uh, I, I stopped short of requirements, but the, the conduct called of the early church to be, you know, always looking after each other and, and being uh, peaceful so that people would see that community and mm-hmm, go, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening there. Yeah. And so 
you know, when you what you see is people going, well, this is what's wrong with Christians. Yeah. And this is ironic because globally, if you were to if you were to say Christians, you are describing by percentages and overwhelming population, you're describing a black woman. Really? Yeah. A black or brown woman. Uh, that's the that's typical the, global Christian. Really? Yes. And so it's ironic when people claim Christians are racist. Yeah, like when a, a statistically white, a white religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we are demonstrating all the worst of Christianity. And when um, what it what it feels like to the observing world is that Christians are just uh, people who are because they're God's children, they're entitled and they're petty and they're unkind. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. this culture thing when we talked about it last time soon after i had this realization and uh did you ever this was very convicting for me and and it still is but less because it, it affects me less but when i was younger when i would go from friend group to friend group so if i had you know i uh, got my church friends i got my school friends okay uh and then i've got friends that i went to my old school and i still see them or i got neighborhood friends and going from friend to friend it's not necessarily like more morals that would shift, but, uh, but like what I knew, I knew these friends laughed at this kind of joke and these friends laughed at this kind of joke. So I would tell different jokes with different friends because I knew which, <laughs> you know, I knew what worked. You're working the crowd. Man. I'm working the crowd. And so, uh, so it wasn't like, you know, these guys want to go steal. I'm going to steal with these friends and then right. play with these friends. It wasn't like that, but it was, you know, uh, uh, it did come down to activities like what they did for fun. Like some friends were video game friends. Some friends were, you know, go climb rocks friends. Yeah. Um, but it changed a pretty significant shallow level, my personality, depending on the people. And I wonder if that's just culture of a person's culture, you know, their family's culture down to the person. And then when I'm with them, I feel, you know, without really being able to put it into words, I feel the difference for good or worse or neutral. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that person's culture. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because culture, uh, another way to think of culture is how we make sense of things. Mm. And so when you're around uh, especially a family, a family has a culture. It's how they make sense of things. Yeah. And so how they make sense of conflict or how they make sense of, uh, emotions. Sure. Or how they make sense of, um, time management, whatever. And so it, it is culture creating. And this is this, you know, we talked about this before, but what I love about the culture creating idea is rather than curse the culture or be frustrated with the culture, we can actually create culture. Yeah. And it is a world-changing thing. So if you imagine this cultural moment in the Pacific Northwest with um, all the opinions people have about emergency governor powers or whatever, if you imagine that every Christ follower in this region was practicing self-denial and pushing away their self-love, I think the environment would absolutely change. Yeah. It's it's, – all this talk I've been doing of going from, you know, the forest to the trees and going small. Right. I wonder if part of the appeal of that is because you can't, we can't control every Christian in this region, let alone every Christian in the country. Right. Um, you know, you can't make Christianity more appealing as an entity. Right. You can make Christ more appealing in your life. And that's, yes. a, that's about as good as you can do. Yeah. So creating that culture in your own sphere. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we've been talking about for probably that. Maybe that's the theme of this year. Is it's that it's the superpower you have to yeah. actually contribute to the world. Yeah. So uh, the question is, how far does self denial go? Am I supposed to continually deny myself and 
always reject self-love. Is mm-hmm. it okay to love myself? And this yeah. is where, you know, you, you pivot to, well, if you do this long enough, leaning into the power of Jesus to overcome your love of self, what eventually will happen, this is our theory, you'll begin to love yourself the way you love your neighbor. Mm. Dispassionately, objectively, you will be, you instead of loving your neighbor like yourself, which is impossible because I love me way more than I love my neighbor. Yeah. My goal actually should be to love me the way I love my neighbor. Yeah. And this empowers you to do that because you're, you're, you, as you squash and rule over your love of self, it actually diminishes in its power. Mm. That it actually gets easier to do as yeah. you, as you go on. Yeah. There's a, I, I believe I've mentioned this on here, but it would have been, you know, over a year ago, uh, studies on willpower as a muscle. And that was the kind of theory mm. that the more you use willpower, the easier it gets. Yeah. And, uh, and scientists recently found out that it's just not true. It's really? Not how it works. Eventually, it's not a muscle. It's not a muscle. You have a limit and everybody, if you reach it, you know, if you deny that piece of cake five times, that sixth time, doesn't matter how often you deny yourself in other uh, arenas. You, you, it's just you can only do so much. So the successful people then actually change uh, uh, how their life operates mm-hmm. to avoid bad decisions. To stay away from the option. Yeah. So they would they would actually engineer their life to where they don't see a piece of cake because they know that it doesn't. They can't just deny it. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, one of the most famous uh, sociological experiments is the kids with the donuts. Yeah. 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 And the 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 kids who had and this is a longevity study. They studied these kids for years, mm-hmm. the same batch. And the ones who had the power to delay their gratification with that donut on demand rather than go ahead and eat it and not get a second donut. The ones who had the power to delay their gratification ended up statistically way more happy, way more healthy, less anxiety, less depression. That's an enormous skill. Well, and that's actually where this where this comes from is the it, the study that I had seen was a marshmallow. They get a marshmallow on the desk. They say, I'm going to leave the room for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you don't eat the marshmallow, I'll come back and I'll give you another one. You can have both. And if you do eat it, that's the only one you get. And the kids that succeeded moved it out of the way. They moved they it out of the way. They they couldn't yeah, see it. They, they pushed it around and looked the other way or they covered their <laughs> eyes. So uh, that, that none of them were able to just have it there and not eat it. That's interesting. It's, it's very interesting. So with this, I wonder if that's – and for me, because you've talked a lot about in your preaching and stuff – uh, little devices. You put a coin in your pocket, right. and every time you touch it, you think of this, or yeah. you have a new key on your key ring. Yeah. And I'm uh, historically terrible with them. I just forget about them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that I just get too comfortable with the new things in my pockets, and within an hour, I'm not thinking about it anymore. Right. Do you? Is there any way I could engineer in that kind of way to where I think about it more often, or to where I don't know? Yeah, I know, and you haven't been doing this a super long time already, but. No, it's a, it's, I don't know any other trick except just being mindful of it. Sure. You know, wanting it, wanting to just observe it. And so sometimes I observe it after I've already done it. Yeah. Because then it comes to my mind. That's kind of a postmortem of the, of a failure. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you do, it's like, uh, it's like if you're, if you're looking at wanting to buy, um, a Tesla. Yeah. Suddenly, you see Teslas everywhere. Yeah, sure. They're everywhere. And they, there's not any more of them. You just notice them. Yeah, right. I think it's like that. I think you can heighten your awareness of it where you start spotting it. Right. And then they're jumping out at you. And yeah. you don't even have to try to find them. Exactly. Because they're all, t- all there. The only self-love, uh, modern self-love, is talked about constantly. 
you know, like like nowadays. You gotta love yourself. Yeah. If you don't love you, nobody else will. Yeah. But when I think about uh, any kind of biblical allusions to it, like the denying yourself is what we're talking about. So right. that's used constantly. But the only time I remember seeing love of self, and there's more than this, but the only one that comes to mind is in uh, uh, Paul talking about marriage. You know, uh, women uh, serve your husband, and then husbands love your women the way you the way you love yourself, love mm-hmm. your wives the way you love yourself. And so that's that's really interesting to me is that in that case is it you know you got the two pieces of chicken and mm-hmm. you or you got the dark meat and the white meat and mm-hmm. you're like my wife gets the gets the dark meat or what what's going on in that kind of analogy? Well, I don't understand that last part of the question. Well, just the husbands love your wives the way you love yourself is that just selecting? Then you just move all that those decisions. Like well, you're it's husband, about. husbands love your wives the way Jesus loved the church is what that actually says in Ephesians five. So, well, I think in I think it's in. Oh man, he he says it. I'm, I'm, I'll look it up, but he does say it. Okay, I I don't think so. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just call bluff there. Um, but Ephesians five is love your wife as you love as Jesus loves the church, which is he dies for it. So. Um, when I was in college, we had a psychology class, and they were talking about the acronym JOY. And this was a thing people were saying. You can have joy if it's Jesus, others, and then you. Okay. And so uh, he was saying, no, 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 it's not Jesus, others, and you. It is Jesus at the top of the triangle, and then it's others and you equally Oh, I see. at the bottom of the pyramid. Because it's not good to love others more than you love yourselves. It's good to love others the way you love yourself to love them the same. Yeah, it is. Ephesians five twenty to thirty three. Husbands loving your wives as you as you love your own bodies. He says. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it says a man who loves his wife loves himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to defend my biblical. Literacy. You did good, John. You did good. Uh, so that is most of my. Um, when I think about this, a lot of my questions come about in the others and self on a. Uh, on, you know, kind of a priority list or like who comes first or to what extent right, do you right. deny yourself? So let's quick. I want to hear your uh, media show and tell. Mm-hmm. And then we're, after our commercial break, we're going to break down some more of those examples and where that kind of where that buck stops as far as uh, as far as denying yourself. OK, well, my media review is a book I just purchased today. OK, and it's exciting. Uh, yeah, I did. some. I, I stumbled into it and I reviewed it and then I bought it. It is 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. Teen? Yeah. With an N, like a teenager? Yes. Huh. Now, there's a bigger book, 12 Things, uh, but this one, she wrote uh, a younger version of this, and the reason I bought it is because of these high school senior groups I use. Sure. So, uh, questions. How can I live my best life now? Uh, Isn't Christianity against diversity? Can Jesus be true for you? Can Jesus be true for you, but not for me? Hmm. Uh, can we just be good without God? How can you believe the Bible is true? Hasn't science uh, disproved Christianity? Why can't we just agree that love is love? Who cares if you're a boy or a girl? Does God care when we hurt? And how can you believe in heaven and hell? Hmm. And so, um, the reason I recommend the book is for parents to read with their teenagers. I think um, one of the number one uh, things that people who are uh, deconstructing their faith and bailing out 
is that Christians refuse to have these hard conversations. Sure. And this book will give a a, a common uh, content for parents to discuss with their teen rather than feeling like they got to come up with the content themselves because it can be intimidating. I don't I don't know which scripture verse, to, you know. And so uh, I think this would be one of the most powerful things a dad or a mom could do with their kids is have this kind of conversation as teenagers because I guarantee you the culture, the schools, uh, the music, the movies, they are pumping answers to these questions into these kids that are not biblical, they're not God-honoring. Yeah. And so this is a chance to really wrestle with these really important questions. Yeah, that's intense. Um, who's the author of the book, did you say? Uh, her name is Rebecca McLaughlin. Okay. She's a British gal who lives in um, the northeast part of the country, and she's an American citizen now. She's been here you know, over a decade. Sure. Highly educated, theology degrees, um, studied at Cambridge. But, man, she is really smart, really compassionate, and very authentic. That's awesome. Yeah. So I watched some interviews with her uh, before I bought the book. Gotcha. And really impressed. I had never heard of her before. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great it's a great read. Awesome. Well, yeah, you can check that out, and uh, we'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash John. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome back. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, I wanted to shout out real quick our uh, patrons. Yeah. We have uh, a small but dedicated group of supporters and some we have uh, just some recurring subscription um, fees like what uh, hosts our website, how we uh, uh, send our podcast, all the different platforms, things like that. Right. And uh, the, they help us uh, really keep this going with, you know, with paying those things and just keeping all of our yeah. all of our ducks in a row is what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, so we're very, very grateful for those guys. And uh, and if you want to learn more about that, you can go to patreon.com slash Jim John. There you go. No H in the John. No H in the John. Thank you. Uh, okay, so some of my questions on this, we personally have talked a lot about, you know, more in regards to f- not philanthropy is the word I'm looking for, but but really people who have a lot of needs and uh, and needs that you see in the world that you feel like I could meet that need, you know, and, and it might take a lot or there's a, there's a lot of examples where the, the self-denial can get very dramatic and I wonder where that ends. Mm. So especially you said if the you said this the the model is god at the top of the triangle and then us and others equally on the bottom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the denial of self inherently seems to imply it's a god then others than you the the original model so yeah. denying even you know childish things that piece of chicken you give up the bigger piece of chicken you're saying hey you 
need that more than me, or you should have that before I should, that kind of thing. So it seems like that is the pecking order biblically. Yeah, so there's a lot in what you just talked about. Yeah, we can uh, I think that, go through it slowly. Um, you know, the way I would phrase your first part of your question there is what do you do with people whose needs are not met quickly? Sure. They have a truckload of need, or their need is impossible to uh, to satisfy. Yeah. And do you just keep giving, keep giving, keep giving, keep giving? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or... You know, at what point, like when, when do you say no to a person who has real needs that you could meet? Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, where does the line stop on self-denial? If you, you know, your kid's got a game Mm -hmm. and it's important to the kid that you, you go watch them play the sports game and, uh, and you see a broken car down car on the road. Right. How do you make that kind of judgment call? Yeah, those are great questions. I think that, um, for a high maintenance person or someone who's got boundary violations or maybe their life is so dysfunctional that they need lots from you. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of boundaries is a really good thing. And I think of a phrase, uh, uh, developmental love. So um, sometimes we do things for people that doesn't make them better. It makes them more addicted or more dependent upon us. And that's not love. That's actually betrayal. Sure. So uh, one of the things to think about is how do I love you in a way that helps you be a better person. Yeah. So that's one thing that helps me with people that are, that have a high volume of need. Also family, you know, you do, you do uh, love God first family others. Um, so I think, I think your kid comes before a stranger. Sure. Um, so you get some principles like that in your head. I think the constant self-denial is a spiritual uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I think that it, that the default, it's like, uh, the rule and the exceptions to the rule. Yeah. And the rule is I try to deny myself. And the exception is, um, that I, it's not, it's not wrong for me to say, I love that. And I'd like to have it. Mm. Um, if I'm taking it from someone, that's a different thing. Right. Um, but I think we become healthier and and our discernment on uh, reasonable satisfactions of the self, reasonable ways to love the self. We get better at that by self denial, and then our 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 objectivity clarifies. So this isn't necessarily an ad for like a mon- monastic lifestyle no, where you're you know no. living off of you know dew drops and and no. a loaf of bread. I do wonder, you know, when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler and he said, well, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Yeah. You know why that poor sucker was the only one in the history of the world that should sell everything and follow Jesus? Because the rest of us say, well, he loved money more too much and Jesus was putting his finger on that. And But good thing I don't have that problem. Right. You know, so uh, we don't see people selling everything they have, giving it to the poor and following Jesus. And I think that that, that that's not. Um, that not everybody should sell everything they have, give it all to the poor, because we're also told biblically to have an inheritance for our children's children. Yeah. So uh, these principles um, kind of live in balance. And I think balance is intensity in every direction. Mm. Instead of trying to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, try to do all that. Instead of 50, 50, it's a hundred, a hundred, it's a hundred, a hundred. I'm all gods and I'm all my kids and I'm all my families and I'm giving money and I'm, stewarding money and I'm saving money that I do it all with intensity. 
Hmm. That to me is what balance is. Yeah. So then, uh, so the contrast between it's not that you can't, you know, use Tesla again, you, uh, financially blessed and, and you're doing these things in intensity. It's not to say you cannot get a car that's, that is going to last you more than a year, right? It's not that you have to live on cars that are 20 years old, right? but, but when there's a choice, is that how you would word it? If it's between you and another person, it's the other person. Yeah. I think that, um, that serving, loving, giving, um, but it's not a zero sum game. I can love Mm. me and you. Sure. I don't have to love only you. Yeah. I can love me and you. Yeah. And be uh, reasonable and generous and balanced at that. So with uh, with family, for me, most of the times where I can think of uh, of a choice between me and my family, uh, I mean, sorry, me and my family and others. Okay. Right? So I'm choosing between lads or people with different last names. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I benefit from the family choice in a sure. way. So is it still then, do they still get that priority where it is still for them? Do you know what I'm saying? Is that... Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it's between you and your family and that kind of choice, do I, do I give up my leisure time so I can pour more love in my family? That one's a little more obvious to me. That's a more, a little more cut and dry. Well, I think you start at the center circle and you work your way out and, and the, the things do modify with proximity. So, uh, the people who are closest to me, so I would say it would be appropriate to deny, to deny yourself every single time with your spouse. Hmm. I think the best marriages are between two dead people mm-hmm. who die to themselves and live for the other. And so with that proximity, this is my life partner. This is my spouse. I think self-denial every single time is a good choice. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have a, a different um, appetite for sex than your spouse to demand it or to push for it or to pout if you don't get it or whatever – um, I think denying yourself is a healthy thing while also having honesty about sure needs versus desires, whatever. Sure. Then as the circles get further out, so does the intensity, I think. Hmm. Intensity, how, how do you mean? Uh, meaning that I deny myself every time for my spouse, but I don't deny myself every single time for my gotcha. kids. So it, it, inverse for the the radiation. Right. Or radiation. Radial is the word that yeah. came to mind. Yeah. Maybe it's probably the same root word, but – but so the outer circles get less of that kind of mm-hmm. um, every time connotation. Yeah. And yet this is the nuance of following Jesus and living by the spirit. When the spirit prompts you to give something very valuable to an absolute stranger, you do it. Yeah. Because you always self-deny for Jesus. Yeah. So because, again, in that model, Jesus says you're doing that. I'm I'm there when you're doing that for that person. You're doing it for me. You're doing it for me. So then, you know, modern modern giving, at least in America, is a lot of you know. Uh, you see the beggar on the corner. You don't want to give him a dollar because um, you don't know what they'll do with it and that kind of thing. Uh, and and that's not foolish. You know, it's what we we were talking to a friend earlier this week, and he said, you know, there are better ways you can help that person with tangible needs like food and clothing, and then you can use your money for uh, organizations that are going to give them real help so you can you can be smart about that yeah one of the things we do um at the church is when we help people with rent yeah we send the money to the landlord right so they can't you know just yeah, do just, whatever it's they not want a temptation them. for them to use that money for something else sure and still not pay the rent so uh biblically there isn't a it and again i, I agree with this but biblically there isn't a huge case to be made for 
uh, for that. You know, it's give to those who who ask of you. And you know, someone says, mm-hmm. someone, I've, I've I've actually had this thought because I have a particular jacket that I like a lot. And sometimes I'm walking around downtown and I think if someone asked me for this, I'd have to give it to them biblically. Like well, I'd have to give that, them this jacket. That's interesting because it is love your enemies, yeah. bless those who curse you. So you're practicing self-denial for people who hate your guts. Mm. And that is a biblical idea. That's what Jesus did. This In this way, you are like your father who pours out rain on the just and the unjust. Sure. So this is your call. It's a little hard for me as we sit here and talk about every time or two out of three times or, you know. Because <laughs> we're um, seeing how little we can get away with kind right, of Right, right. Yeah. And I would say the general rule is um, that your impulse should be self-denial. Yeah. And and so you would start to notice um, times where, as you get better and better at this, that no, this time I really shouldn't practice self-denial um, for whatever reason. But I think those are exceptions. I think I yeah. think the lifestyle is self-denial. So maybe how many times in order to survive and not go crazy must I gratify myself? And I'm not talking kind of about version. to me self-denial is not always having to do with another person. Sure. It's it's like, man, I want a Dairy Queen Blizzard really bad right now. <laughs> Deny the self. You don't need it. Yeah. Um, does that mean I should never have ice cream again? No, it doesn't mean that. It means it, in another spiritual exercise, anytime I want something really bad, deny that every time. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's an interesting calibration exercise. Because you want it maybe too much. Too much to the point of idolization or yeah. Or yeah. And so when I talk about how Christians are embarrassing ourselves and embarrassing the church during this cultural chaotic moment, it's because we are practicing no self-denial and we are loud. We yeah. are we are argumentative. We are fighting. We are not blessing our enemies and we are cursing those who curse us. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this is powerful. I know it's, uh, it's one of those things where the self-denial – Scripture leads everywhere. So this, this, you might hear this and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it. I get it. Sunday, Sunday school. But this is uh, the power of this is not is is not um, if it were obvious, we'd see it more often. I guess is what I was what I mean. Well, and I think because we have such incredible innate rationalization capacity to justify our self love or to mm-hmm. hide it or to beautify it, yeah, we don't even realize how often we're doing it. And that's where we go back to the start of this. For me, the takeaway is. Just practice this for 48 hours. Just deny every time you want to love yourself, put yourself first, deny it for 48 hours and watch how aware you become of how frequent that actually happens. Yeah. Now you're at a whole new place of understanding what the problem actually is. And that is helpful. That's beautiful. Sure. That's awesome. Uh, If I had a takeaway, it would be, um, I was thinking about what came to mind was you have a, a friend you've talked about who was in a bowling alley and he loved bowling and he heard God say, uh, leave here and never come back. Never mm-hmm. go to, never go bowling again. And he did it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that is, um, there's prescriptive to all people of the faith. Sure. And then there's you and God. Yep. So that, uh, that never come to a bowling alley again. Obviously we would like, if he were to get on a stage and say, everybody, we can't go to bowling alleys anymore. <laughs> like he'd be wrong. He would be. Um, but we have, you know, a living God and we have that relationship. So, uh, it really, you can, you can start at this general rule of, as a rule, I deny myself and then work in, you know, uh, with God, like as your companion with these things, work through certain examples that give you pause or, mm-hmm. or, you know, I love yeah. that. And the culture screams self-gratification. Yeah. 
you deserve a break today. So get up and get away to McDonald's or whatever that is. And so, you know, it's telling you, you deserve this. You, you work hard for this, you know, relax, be entertain yourself. Great. You know, gratify the desires of your flesh. That's just being screamed at you. Yeah. So, uh, to go the other way becomes a jarring cultural disconnect and it becomes, uh, powerful and beautiful. Yeah. Well, and again, that culture thing, it'll be probably more noticeable in a culture like this Mm -hmm. than a different one because we are so self-gratified focused. So it could be a powerful thing. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We hope that uh, this has stimulated some thoughts in you. I'd love to hear if you do the 48 hour challenge, uh, what your experience is. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at Jim and com. You can DM us on Instagram, uh, Jim and John. And uh, what else? Um, those are the, the main ones. We do a weekly Instagram post on, uh, uh, at Jim and John and you can comment there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's also a contact form on the website. That's the other one I was yeah. thinking of. Uh, just a little, if you're on the website, there'll be a little form you fill out with your email. Um, but, uh, whichever is easiest for you, we love to hear from you. Our, uh, our, uh, listener comments are some of our favorite things. Yeah, they really are. All right. Have a great week. Thank you.